0: Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner Podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode features a special guest from Kinetic Construction, the $175 million company operating with 180 plus staff across Vancouver Island and the Lower Mainland has seen significant growth over the past number of years. Our conversation covers their emphasis on culture development, creation of internal training programs, nuances in risk assumption and client builder relationships, and a whole lot more. Our conversation starts
1: now. My name's Tom Plum. I'm the president and CEO of Kinetic Construction. I've been with this organization for about 24 years. Uh, Started in 1984, Now we've got three offices, one in Victoria, one in Courtney, and one in uh, Richmond, Vancouver. Um, we have about 180 people, and uh, we're one of our differentiators. I guess is we consider ourselves a lean construction company.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Even before we jump in, can you elaborate on that a little bit? What is that for for the the average person? What does that mean?
1: So it actually connects with um, our, our one of our values, which is continuous improvement and lean is actually a systematic framework to allow you to systematically improve uh, under control so it's i guess it's a you could call it a mindset it's very people focused uh it's very results focused uh it helps you get to the real core of a problem it helps you achieve targets that you set you know it's a success package i think in a in a philosophy
0: Going in the, through your site in prep for this, there's some mentions of construction management versus general contracting and design build. Can you elaborate on what the difference between those is?
1: So a CM is a, manages construction risk directly on behalf of the owner. So that's what a construction manager does. A general contractor traditionally uh, executes an agreed, pre-designed and documented scope of work for an agreed amount of money and purchases a large portion of the risk from the owner. So that when the owner is asking for a building to build, what they're actually doing is selling risk. Contractor buys that risk and then converts it to a product for the owner. The design builder traditionally provides design and construction services, therefore purchasing the vast amount of risk from the owner. So that's more or less the three fundamental delivery models that exist. I mean, there is sorry, there is the uh, uh, design bid build model which is the reason for most of our failures, most of our grief. It's a very uncollaborative delivery model, let's put it that way.
0: Jumping into this a little bit further, can you speak to over the past couple of years about how Kinetic has evolved as a business? Um, has there been kind of some growth uh, in certain areas, a certain kind of job size that you guys have been able to really drill down on or anything that sticks out uh, as you let, let's say
1: the last two, three years? Since 2015, we've doubled in size. Uh, with our largest projects, uh, having grown by about four hundred percent as as a single project, we're trying to make lean project delivery our main specialty, so in some degree, uh, no matter what type of work we do it doesn 't necessarily matter. Uh, the list is uh, shorter on the things actually that we don 't do yeah you 're talking about like what 's our what are we into so we don 't do roads and bridges yeah. traditionally or, or yet anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um so that's we call that a specialized work so we spend most of our time in the um in the ici sector institutional commercial and multi-residential with not a lot of emphasis on industrial the the industrial part of it so now evolving that's interesting because we have evolved we actually evolved to a point where we understand that uh culture is the foundation of the success of organization like it's just it's 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 maybe it sounds trite and it sounds like an overused uh, thing to say, but it is absolutely 100% critical to have a good culture and not just a culture by name. Uh, culture, I think, is defined as what does that look like in action? So culture is an action, not necessarily a thing. Right? Uh, so that's, that's an ev- evolution, and I think we've done a pretty good job of developing a culture that values people in the organization.
0: When you look over the past year or so, is there a a single success? And it could be the the, the development of your culture. Is there any kind of projects that stick out? Or even just kind of maintaining sanity with all of the craziness, uh, challenges from almost every angle there?
1: I guess the fact that for some bizarre reason, we've been able to grow exponentially, actually through 20 and 21. That would be our success story. We've branched into uh, another model of project delivery, which is design build. Uh, so that's, that was a success. And and that success really is about finding the right people, right? So that's, that's the magic, right? Find good people and you can do damn near anything, right? We spent a lot of time and effort to learn this uh, lean fundamentals and actually start thinking in that way and 2021 was uh, a breakthrough year for us where uh, where it like all of your management staff not only do they understand it uh, but they believe it and they support it so that's what made 2021 a banner year buildings just happen to go up while we're figuring all this stuff out right so (laughs) are there things coming down
0: the pipeline or things that have happened recently within the construction tech that excites you, whether it's maybe new building materials. I know there's been a lot of hype about like Nexi or these other projects like that. Is there anything that sticks out where you're kind of like, Oh, I see a lot of opportunity that aligns with maybe this new lean uh, internal processes that we've been developing.
1: I think we're getting pretty close to latching on the power of uh, digital information modeling and uh, virtual design and construction. That's probably the single most Uh, biggest piece of fruit that's available to us. And it's been on the tree for a long bloody time and it's, it's definitely time to pick it. It's, it's past time. So I'm I'm hoping that that a lot of our industry latches onto this because it is, it makes so much sense to uh, improve your planning process so that your execution process is really easier. That's the big thing. And it's an old thing. It's been around forever. But everybody's afraid to use it because, I don't know, it, you know, what it does is it shows up your mistakes, right? So, Which is kind of funny because as contractors, well, that's actually what we want. Right? So, yeah, let's get things that show us mistakes so we can fix them before we make them. Uh, other than that, I think that uh, modular or at least uh, prefabrication, it has to move in that direction. It's just, I mean, we don't have enough skilled workforce in the field. The field really is the the worst place to get production. You know, expose yourself to wind, rain, storm, floods, lightning, everything, and try to be the most productive you can in that environment. Well, it's just, it's not. We do it because that's the only way we know how but it is really unproductive. So I think the more we can figure out is how do we make components in a controlled environment where we can actually manage productivity uh, and improve on it because we have very few outside factors influencing it. That I'm excited to see where, where that will go. So I think it has to happen. For
0: your business next
1: three to six months, what, uh, what
0: do you guys have coming up? New projects, expansions, <laughs> that kind of stuff
1: yeah well it's uh, uh I guess you could call it externally it's hair on fire, right <laughs> so it's all all hands on deck um, and looking for people that are floating in the water so we can scoop them up and put them on the ship because we need more we need more skilled people to do this work um, internally, we're preparing uh, our if you're talking about the next three six months we're we're preparing to operationalize our strategic plan. How do we break that plan down into parts, into work plans that different departments take on uh, focusing on what can we improve in the organization? So it's all focused around what we need to improve. I mean, that's why we have things like Static Academy. We actually have an instructor, somebody that uh, that takes care of that uh, that department. And we have multiple courses that we, I think there's like, some are over 50 courses that we train people for a purpose. We say, like, okay, so what actually, what do we got in the horizon? What do we actually need skills on? And who are the people that are going to go? Oh, do they have those skills? No. Okay, well, let's train them in those specific skills so they can leave the school and go to work knowing what they learned is being applied. So the only way that we could actually control that. To connect what you're being taught to what's in the school or, or what's in the, in the job site is to, to, we took over the education for the most part ourselves, right? So that was a huge commitment. So that's uh, that's a differentiator. I don't know very many organizations of our size, which is around the 150, 175 million a year um, that actually put that much invest in them uh, and put that much energy in it. So. I'm pretty, pretty proud of our group for pulling this together. Um, I want to jump into a little bit about the, the external
0: challenges, supply chain and skilled labor shortages. Can you speak to how you guys have, I mean, I think the, the internal, internalizing the education side of things is probably a, a great approach to, to attack that, but what else have you guys tried uh, to kind of mitigate or kind of work through these big challenges?
1: Well, I really think that the, um, this, maybe the secret for the next few years is really determining the size of your mouth and acceptance that a you know a project does require i don't know up to twice as much resource and input and energy than it did like five years ago uh so that's something that you can't ignore there's so many parts of a of a like the thousands of parts that make up a construction uh, contract and a project that are at risk your effort to manage those risks is just phenomenally more, right? So, okay. So you're already understaffed and the work you do have takes longer. Um, You really have to ask yourself, how much more work do I need to care to, do I want to bring on? And then you end up hiring underqualified people to do more work that you've brought in. And then you start to fail. And that's, I think, what we're focusing on the most is, yeah, there's a lot of grass out there that needs to be mowed. And it's just, and there's more coming every day, but if you gorge yourself, I think you're gonna hurt. Back in the day when we had resources, you know, it was different, you know, we could go onto the street and get everything we needed to take on projects. We could grow and grow and grow. So this is a little bit unique in this market.
0: Is there anything, and I I guess I don't know if this is it would be giving away competitive advantages, but an outside taking outside the box approaches to, to solving these problems. I don't know if it's like stocking up on some
1: materials that you know that you're projecting to be do you know what I mean? Everything has to be looked at, right? So you can't take anything for granted. Like if you know, not only are your traditional suppliers unable to supply it. Um, maybe they don't have it, maybe it costs too much. So you're really tearing everything apart and looking at it out of the box thinking, well, I mean, we did some risk management, but, uh, that was like buying a, a whole bunch of lumber, like 10 months before you needed it. And, and then, and then the lumber price went down and it was like, oh, hell, that didn't work. You know, there's so much uncertainty, right? So this is happening with everything. Uh, You know, you might be able to buy a pump, for example, like an industrial pump, but you can't get it for eight months because it's missing a operational chip. This is the kind of thing that what a chip is stopping this project from being finished. So when I say more work, yeah, you got to you got to tear things apart to see where it's going to hurt you. Do you have
0: advice uh, for business leaders who are, who are maybe in a different industry and some best practices that, that have kind of helped you as you're navigating quite a large ship through this?
1: A couple of things, I guess. It's like, don't be too greedy. That's my sort of advice like, off the bat. Like Just figure out what your mouth size is and feed that. But going back to the evolution part again, your job as leadership um, is to kind of do two basic things. Uh, One is to come up with an achievable vision that everybody can uh, get behind. And the second thing is to either bring in or train good people to execute the vision. That's it. That's That's your recipe for business success. And you can apply that to any business, right? It just so happens that, well, I mean, every business is suffering from lack of resources right now, but... Construction's quite bad. Do you see opportunities uh, for government? It could be at the municipal
0: or at the provincial level to improve things like permitting approval times um, or some of the other challenges that, uh, that that people are insinuating or increasing things like the cost of housing or general uh, cost of living.
1: Uh, yeah, I do. I think there's, I think there's definitely room for improvement in what they do in their processes. Right. I mean, they have to understand what their impact on the market is. So for every six months that something is delayed in in City Hall, the project increases 5%. So that's pretty staggering uh, when you look at that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of things. I mean, I'm sure that they've got the same skilled resource problem that everybody else has. Unfortunately, that's where you want to see the most of it uh, is in the, the, the authorities um, but one thing, one common thing that I think most of them are missing is they haven't uh, grasped the digital world to help them uh, manage and process their information and, and requirements and permitting uh, the way that I think the rest of the industry has. Right? So I think that you should be able to submit uh, digital drawings uh, for for permitting or even better yet, submit 3d models so their job's easier because i mean it's not always the cities that hold things up it's like there's missing information and like you go to a permit a permit process and if you're missing a piece of information your your permit might be put (laughs) down on the list somewhere some other place and and the the amount of times that they have to go back and forth with that your package is not complete that actually takes that's actually a fairly significant part of it so yeah developers builders do better Now when it comes to the city, get on with the new generation. Go digital, uh, embrace the, the BIM and VDC concept so that your job is actually easier than going through stacks of paper plans. Like, yeah, that's just, it doesn't make any more sense. So that would be my first suggestion is go digital, get on with that program, figure out ways to make your job easier so you can make the process faster.
0: Wondering if you, if anything comes to mind about contrasting, you know, you've got your uh, lower mainland and Vancouver Island operations. Is there a difference in the way that the, the two regions operate?
1: <laughs> well, there definitely is. <coughs> We're not sure exactly what it is. We have some guesses, but the um, best I can describe it is, okay, so the, the smaller the community you're in, usually the more relational your things are. So, I think there's that. I think the island is much more relational and I think Vancouver is much more transactional, right? You got more to choose from. If you, if you clash with someone, you somebody else to work with. But so I think that's probably the, the primary difference is one's relational, one's transactional. Okay. No, I think that's great.
0: Um, And then anything regions or build type wise, um, are you seeing, I guess you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but within the the ICI segment that you mentioned, is there anything? Is there like a spike in multifamily that you didn't expect this year, or a spike in in institutional? Or?
1: Well, the government's spending a lot of money, so that's keeping us going. And I think they're still under the impression that they need to rescue us with a lot lot more work. And and I'm kind of going, wait, you don't have to dump it out on a dump truck, right? You can, you know. What if if we sort of stagger this out to meet so the demand would sort of more likely meet our resources? Uh, But that's not happening. It's just all coming in a big wave, and everybody's scrambling like crazy, right? So we're seeing more mass timber. So I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of uh, care housing or uh, aged work coming up. Obviously, our population is getting older and older. There's a big program out there to do that, so we're going to see lots more of that. Um, It's housing with a a higher degree of complexity, a little bit higher complexity, Uh, so that's coming. Um, We're going to see a lot more demand for uh, mass timber projects, so that's something that we're right now adapting to as a change in demand uh, as long as we can keep producing wood, which is always in question around here. But what I think is more exciting is not necessarily what buildings are coming up, but what excites me is what delivery models are being considered so we're kind of going away from the you know the design bid build pirate show to um, a more collaborative models where we can get owners and uh, consultants and contractors sort of working together on a common on a common uh, cause and for the same purpose. I think that's exciting. I think that's good. I think our industry needs that. And we're seeing more of that. So that, that's really actually encouraging. Getting towards the tail end here, the last segment before we have those four
0: quick questions, the final four here, but I want to ask you about your professional background. A, how did, how did you end up in Kinetic? And then I think B, going through LinkedIn, you've kind of worked your way up from site superintendent all the way to 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 the president and CEO role, can you kind of walk
1: me through that that journey? Yeah, well, I, I guess the journey started with my epiphany that um, the forest industry was not going to be a, a viable long term choice for me. Right? So it just didn't make any sense. So I went back to school and got uh, to technology and got diplomas uh, for the construction business because I, I really dug drafting in high school. But for me, it was a bit different because I finished tech school. And realized I really didn't have enough practical knowledge to be useful to absolutely anyone. So I went out in the field and bought a belt and had a mentor, a friend of mine, and he taught me how to be a carpenter. And so eventually I, I got a red seal uh, certificate as a carpenter. And now I felt, okay, so I've got a technical knowledge. Now I've actually done the work. I've spent my time in the rain, in the crap and the sleet. So I have an empathy and understanding of the a better understanding of the work. Uh, And then that led to supervision and then I I joined Kinetic in about 97 and uh, as a junior superintendent, it's funny, they're actually tearing down the St. Joe's hospital ambulance or uh, emergency section, which was my first job with Kinetic in 97 that we (laughs) built it brand new. Wow. So that's how you know you're getting old is they're tearing down buildings that you (laughs) built. That's wild. Yeah, and then, so I was a superintendent for for quite a while, and then back in 2005, I think it was, um, I was approached to um, open a branch in the, what we called the North Island, which is actually Central Island, uh, out of uh, Campbell River, and then opened that branch, and then did that for 10 years up there, uh, and then in two thousand and sixty fifteen, they asked me to come and take over the the job of uh, president and CEO. So like every other job I got with Kinetic, I just said, okay, (laughs) yes. (laughs) You know, it it used to be like, can we send you the middle of nowhere and do a job that you know nothing about? And that was, oh yeah, okay, let's do that. Let's go. (laughs) So here we are. (laughs) But it's it's been you know it's been a it's been a great ride and, and making the transition from building uh, projects to building people uh, was really cool it was it was good it was you actually do feel accomplished when you see your work uh, present itself in people right so that's that's a, that's the cool part of the job for me. Was there a
0: shift within the, in your time in leadership where you recognized like, hey, this is going to be a, you know, a key competitive advantage with, with labor shortage? Or was there, was there a time where you're just like, okay, it's time to drill down on this? Or has it been kind of a continual process?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, our company always had a good reputation. And it was, you know, for the most part, a pretty good place to work, right? So we were sort of known as having a good culture. But if you want to grow, and really grow as an organization, you actually need to face some of the things that you took for granted and say, okay, how do we prove these out? What's the evidence that we've got good culture, right? And then what is actually good, if if you were to stumble on it, what does good culture look like in action? And I think that, you know, even like the next generation of leadership that takes over from me will take what we've done in the last 10 years and and they will actually add to that right so it's it's the natural progression of things we're supposed to get better at culture we're supposed to get better at processes we're better supposed to be better human beings as we grow older so that applies to organizations right so yeah it was operationalizing culture i guess you know if culture is a is a sign that hangs on the wall of your boardroom i'm not sure what that's going to do for you So it is understanding what culture is and and actually caring for people. Like we care about people, not just at the workplace, but we care about them at home. Like what's your home, is your home life? Okay. What are the stressors that you have there? You can't separate them. You can't, you can't be going through a divorce at home and come to work and and be a, be a rock star. It just doesn't work that way. Humans are not machines. So Good culture means that you actually care for people, whatever they're going through, whether it's cancer. And we've had that more times in our company than I I'm, I'm feel good about saying. But um, it's about young people having families and how do we support that element so that they feel secure, so they can actually have a family and they feel secure in their job. It's a commitment, right? So that to me is what I think is good culture. And then people have good friends at work. And they love coming to work. They tell other people, oh, that work working. There's a gas. It's, it never feels stressed. It's, well, I mean, the job is stressed, but the in, in fighting politics, that stress is not there because people just like each other. To me, that's cool. Yeah. No, I do
0: completely agree. How has your approach to leadership changed from your time running small sites or medium sized sites to, to now leading this 180 person organization?
1: That, that, that it is a change, and unfortunately, I think that the change required or the focus became relevant to me in, a, in an early in an early stage because like like I said before, used to um, used to focus on on the physical building and what are the things what's that's the, the priorities there and it's like getting the thing done on time uh, at the quality that's acceptable and for the and the price that's agreed to. So that's, that's a focus on everything. Um, and you and if you focused on that and understood that you needed people to m- help you make that happen, then you were, you were probably successful. Now my job is all about people. And I think that that's the way it should be. Yeah. I've, I've got a plan. I've shared the plan. The plan looks good. We're doing it. Add good people and we're, and, and off we go. So it is, for me, it's all about people. And and you can't be all about people if you're not all about culture. So I guess I'm one of those, one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. No, I honestly, I really appreciate
0: it. I've taken a lot of notes here. Um, I've got four quick ones to get you out of here. I know we're running a little bit over. Uh, do you have a favorite book uh, or podcast uh, that you engage with there?
1: Okay. So be, being a lean person, that's an unfair question because I have to categorize it. Right. So. Uh, famous or my favorite serious book, Pillars of the Earth, uh, fun book, Scoundrels one and two, <laughs> a podcast, anything by Jordan Peterson. Best personal advice that you've received. Uh, stop thinking you never make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hard lesson to learn. I had to eat a lot of pie to, uh, To get that one through my thick head. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. I have not heard that one before here.
0: Uh, App or piece of software you can't live without?
1: Um, I guess it would be email.
0: And then uh, favorite restaurant on Vancouver Island.
1: Okay. okay, So, okay. I'll I'll give you my top five. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it depends what you want. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I like, I like variety. So uh, top five. Uh, Il Terrazzo. That's kind of a go-to. Uh, Cafe Brio, they got great wine prices. Uh, Wind Cries Mary, Wind. I don't know if you've been there, no. but it's going to be a suggestion. Um, and a restaurant called Nowhere, yeah, been there, yeah. And then uh, if you if you want sushi, I go to Abizo. but um, and if you're in Nanaimo, Gina's. Thanks for stopping by
0: From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.